2: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association
1: with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life.
2: Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, September 21st. I'm Ciarán Hancock. And this week we'll be looking at various tax proposals in the run-up to the budget, plans by RTE and TB3 to collaborate on a channel for the diaspora, and the 500 million euro plan proposed to rejuvenate Limerick. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. But we'll start with Limerick and a plan announced this week to invest 500 million euro to make the city a leading destination for inward investment. Leading businessman Dennis Brosnan has agreed to chair a local authority created company which will redevelop 1.4 million square feet of infrastructure over the next five years. I'm joined in studio by Irish Times business reporter Barry O'Halloran who's covered the story and by phone by Pat. Daly, the interim COO of Limerick 2030. Uh, Barry, we might just begin with you. Just uh, perhaps outline for our listeners, if you like, uh, the main plan uh, over the next five years for the rejuvenation of Limerick.
3: Okay, well, fundamentally, this involves uh, the local authority through the the, the special purpose vehicle Limerick 2030, investing 500 million in the purchase and rejuvenation of uh, a series of city centre sites. There'll be built mainly as offices and the uh, the idea is to bring in new employment. As we know, a lot of modern uh, employers operate out of offices. That includes things like the tech sector, services, financial services. And this means that office, office space is at a premium, both in this country and, and in many other centres. Limerick believes it has plenty of scope to develop parts of its city centre for this. And it believes that in in doing so, it can create of the order of 5,000 to 5,400 jobs.
2: Right. Pat Daly, you're the man on the ground, as it were, and uh, somebody who's going to be, I presume, responsible for putting this plan into action. Um, Perhaps just uh, outline to us, first of all, how Limerick fared in in the recession. Uh, Everywhere in Ireland was obviously impacted, but how did Limerick come through it?
1: Well, good afternoon, Kiran and Barry. Uh, Yeah, it it probably took a bigger hit than most in in the recession because it got severely impacted by um, the Dell manufacturing closure. They they, um, Mm. ceased certain parts of the manufacturing operation back in, uh, announced in 2008, but but coming through in 2009. And that took out 1,900 jobs, which is a substantial number of jobs in in any location um, or any even um, uh, capital area, but it, it also took out another, I suppose, uh, corresponding number in sub supplier service jobs as well. So it really took a, a double whammy at that point. So you were dealing with both a downturn in the economy plus a very substantial jobs hit. And at that time, um, Dennis Brosnan, who's become exec, uh, interim chair or chair of the Illinois 2030 company, took on the role of how do you um, tackle such a problem? Uh, it, it became very obvious that you had to do more than just Uh, refill factories and recreate job opportunities you had to really transform what you were trying to do and it looked at um, everything from how you regenerate the city into the region and then beyond. And that was a kind of forerunner, um, of the Limerick 2030 economic and spatial plan, which kind of set out the broad pattern of how we would transform the city, how we would transcend sectors and then how we would actually make job creation happen, working in conjunction with obviously the key agencies, IDA, Enterprise Ireland and, and stakeholder mm. bodies. And, and we, were, we put that place, uh, that, that plan in place. Um, the next stage was we, the partnership the public and private sector and education bodies signed up as charter signatories. Um, and then we started assembling sites. And the last piece of that um, development then was actually uh, forming and launching the LIMW 2030 um, strategic development company. And that was done on Monday. So that will be the development arm for these key sites in the city. And, and th- these sites will be anchors for job creation and investment.
2: Yeah, OK. So where's this 500 million euro going to come from?
1: Well, the 500 million will come from direct sources from from both council. I mean, obviously, it'll feed then investments. We're in uh, advanced discussions with a number of funding bodies like ISAF, uh, EIB, um, and, uh, and and private uh, venture funds and uh, pension funds. So it, it, each side will probably be a mix of of, of different funding mechanisms. And uh, I think the reaction so far has been pretty strong in that area.
2: Now, I was listening to Dennis Brosnan on RT Radio this morning, and he was saying that the target that's been set of about 5,000 jobs is actually too low. He expects uh, many more jobs to be created. So are you, are you deliberately lowballing on the jobs number?
1: Well, I, I think we're trying to be, well, we're, we're probably conservative, and in fairness, he's, he's probably right in some ways. In the 2030 plan, uh, we set a job creation target out to 2030 uh, of 12,000 jobs for the city and the county, and of that, then, 5,000 in the city. Um, and I think so far, with the great work we've done with our, our sister agencies, uh, we, we're really bounding up on that. Like, I mean, just this week, we've launched 300 jobs for Fazzy Healthcare in, right in the city centre, and last year we had Uber, another 300 jobs for the city centre. So they were the first FDI projects in the city, strange enough to, 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 to believe, but um, that have been located and we have a very strong pipeline. And indeed, we've managed to have most of the existing FDIs expand in the business parks in the suburbs. So the they, the conditions have been very good. We, we've worked at reducing kind of commercial rates. We've worked at making it easy for people to do business. We've worked very closely with the agencies mm. to take out any obstacles. And, and a lot of that has been around how we develop property solutions and site solutions for companies. And, and so, we're working very hard to do that to kind yeah. of future-proof the, the, the city and the county.
2: So will this be Limerick going up, let's say, against Cork or against Dublin or against Galway or other locations around the country for new investment?
1: It it could be, but also playing to our strengths. I mean, uh, what's very interesting is is soon to open, we hope, by the end of the year will be the Troy Studios complex. In fact, on the site of one of the former uh, Dell manufacturing sites in Plassey, that's 360,000 square feet on 15 acres. That now is home to Troy Studios, and when it opens, it'll be the newest and largest film uh, studio in the country. Again, bringing a whole new sector to town, a whole new industry and creative industries and film. um, And it shows then how we're trying to Place uh, new sectors, new new job creation projects into new locations that regenerate. So uh, you know we have multi sectors working and growing, I, I, and, and we try and do different. I mean the projects that will fit for Limerick, they may not may, may not fit. They may want to go to Cork or they may want to go to Galway. So yeah. what we're trying to do is actually. What, strong region and uh, you know is, is benefited by a strong city
2: And what type of companies or what type of jobs are you hoping to attract?
1: Well quite what we feel are certainly creative industries IT we have some very strong strength in we're really growing far on the medical uh, devices side uh, and definitely we feel there's opportunity in the financial services so uh, we've a kind of blended offer and we're, we're trying to work on making it so uh, easy uh, for people to do business and, and be very cost effective in doing that
2: Yeah, Barry 500 million euro for 5,000 jobs most of this is going to be public money of one sort or, or another is a good value for money? Um,
3: I, I really think that's quite, quite quite a lot of money to be spending to, you know, €100,000 a job. It sounds to me in the face of it to be to, to be quite a lot. I mean, it, I think the ultimate return would, deter, would, would depend on the quality of job that you're bringing in and the type of spending power that that individual will have. And I, and I also think that from Limerick's point of view that it's... To to really kind of maximise that, you need to be bringing people in from outside to work there as well to boost Mm. the population and to to grow the overall scale of the economy. But I, I have to say that I would feel that the jury is very much out on the question of whether or not €100,000 a job is good value for money.
2: Yeah. Pat, are we thinking big enough uh, in, in terms of scale here? I just wonder whether, you know, rather than sort of Limerick doing its own thing, maybe Cork doing its own thing, maybe we should be thinking about uh, a bigger hinterland in the Munster area to act as an economic counterbalance to Dublin and to trying to cluster industries uh, in, in kind of a broader area.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, uh, and I think Limerick Force wants to be the the anchor for the kind of the, the Midwest region or the Shannon region. I think that would then be. I think we would certainly be interested in, 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 in discussing with, with Cork and Galway and how we would kind of join and counterbalance. But you, you need that kind of wave of, of support. The idea is, can we grow Limerick to two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand 250,000 people over the next 20, 30 years? That would give you that kind of uh, capacity. I think Barry's point, uh, I, 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 would, I would take around, you know, if it's 100,000 the job. But, in fact, it's probably too simplistic to divide the, 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 the capex into the kind of numbers. We would be transforming the city and sites uh, uh, we will be obviously looking to attract as, as many high-paying jobs, but the, the, these sites have a public element around them as well and and how you actually redefine mm-hmm. our urban plan, the city. So um, th- th- there is a different mix, but if you want to grow to being about a double the size you are now or even larger, um, you then have to obviously plan for that and you have to urban plan it well and then fit in your, I suppose, job creation sites around it. So it, it's a, it's, a, it's not just a straight money in for jobs. It's it's actually part of the public realm yeah. as well. Uh,
2: Pat, where does the IDA sit in all of this? I mean, is this a fact? Are you cutting across their turf? Or are they going to be involved in this plan?
1: Are very much involved. Uh, we work very, very much hand in glove IDA with IDA with their local team, headed up by Nilo Callaghan, and indeed their national uh, development team. Uh, and again, what we do is just we try and provide solutions on the property side, on maybe the, 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 the office side for them. They have a very strong pipeline. They're seeing their client base grow and they're seeing new companies become very interested in Limerick. And what we're trying to do then is provide locations for them. And we do that very much hand in glove uh, and, and with the guidance of IDA.
2: And one of the things that Dennis Brosnan said this morning that Limerick has going for it at the minute is available housing, uh, which some other parts of the country don't have. Just explain that to us.
1: Yeah, what we've been doing is is obviously in trying to plan out um, a larger city and and, and, uh, new offerings, we're also looking at the housing supply as part of that and in in the planning permissions at the moment we have around 3,000 units coming through so some uh, developers have come back to Limerick and they're they're finishing out estates that have been unfinished and they're building new ones and there's new apartments blocks planned Um, so there's quite a lot in planning that is coming through over the next couple of years to keep pace with the job creation and to look uh, and to support the um, inward investment so So we've been looking – the good thing is because we've been thinking deeply of the issues that have impacted Limerick, we have the Limerick 2030 plan. That looked at all these areas. So that was a number of years in gestation. That plan was launched in 2013, so we haven't been planning for that for the last number of years. So it isn't just something we've dreamed in the last number of months. This is about a four-year program and coming to the, 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 the final phase of the first part.
2: Sure. Barry, they've decided to do this by way of an SPV. These special purpose vehicles have had some bad press uh, in, in recent times because they've been used by uh, international investment funds uh, for to buy up properties and and uh, effectively bypass having to pay any taxes, etc. Um, should we be in any way concerned that we have an SPV in this, uh, in this instance?
3: Well, w- one would hope not. First of all, the the, the government is, is, is closing the door on the particular tax break that the the uh, venture fund owned SPVs were using. So that would shut that avenue off. But I mean to to, to give limerick its due if you like this does actually sound like a company that's set up for the special purpose of developing the city centre rather than necessarily uh, channeling funds or channeling profits out of the country which is what those other SPVs were set up to do.
2: Yeah right. Pat when can we expect the first investment announcement?
1: Well, we hope. Uh, already they're happening. We'd fancy last week uh, our first project, obviously, try, we hope, will open by the end of the year. And then we're on site with the Gardens International Office Block about 130,000 square feet. And that hopefully will be starting its building work by the end of the year. So I would hope we'd have pre sometime early next year.
2: OK. Pat Daly, Barrier Halloran, thank you for joining us. Thank you. We move now to media and a proposal from TV3 to RTE that they collaborate on a channel for the diaspora. Joining me in the studio is our media expert, Laura Slattery. Laura, you're very welcome. Uh, tell us about this proposal.
4: Well, the proposal was made by the managing director of TV3, Pat Kiley, at a media conference last week. Um, and um, Dermot Horan, who's the acting managing director of RTE Television, was on the same panel at the time. So the proposal was made, you know, to him. So, you know, he's, he's not necessarily in charge of, of RTE RTE's budgets, so uh, he wasn't in a position to respond to it. But the proposal was that the that the TV3's content and RTE's content would combine to form uh, one channel that would aim super at super channel for the yeah, diaspora, yeah. millions of a Irish. A showcase of abroad. Irish content is how you know that was the sort of the, the tone of it. Um, I mean, there's a very logical reason for doing it this way as a collaboration, uh, which is because you know both channels, uh, you know both broadcasters have run channels in the Irish market. Uh, that, you know, have large chunks of it are you know, made up by acquired programming to which they don't hold the rights internationally. So Nation Street and yeah. everything these So to kind of take that out, you can't really just you know, T V three is part of Liberty Global these days. It can't just really just show T V three on Liberty Global's platforms in other countries because those rights, those programmings, are already mm. held by other other people. So when you you know and the same thing that happens to RTE as well, but when you combine you know the, the the sort of the might of both, you do end up with a with a larger chunk of Irish home produced content that and, and you know, the good stuff is what I would say that you would that mm. people abroad but might in- be of interest.
2: It is interesting, isn't it? Because they're sworn enemies at home. I mean, they're you know they're battling for programming, they're battling for advertising, they're battling for their survival, uh, if you like, and talent uh, as well. And and here they're now talking yes. about uh, collaboration. I mean, is this a play by TV Three for a greater slice of the license fee?
4: Perhaps. Uh, I don't think they really are chasing the license fee. They're certainly probably chasing a few reforms, you know, in how RTE operates, rather than actually wanting a chunk of the money. They certainly haven't in the past. But the timing of the uh, proposal was very interesting because uh, at the same conference, uh, RTE's Director General uh, D Forbes had said, you know, the RTE really does need to work with its frenemies, is how she put it, um, New more collaborations, uh, more partnerships with people who they do consider rivals. And In fact, the broadcasting industry sort of does work like this anyway. They often, you know, people often team up on, you know, say, uh, investing in, in t- platforms, new platforms or... In, yeah. Yeah,
2: BBC Northern Ireland has done And also and so on forth. joint
4: bids for sports rights, which is, uh, you know, yeah. where it's been happening as well.
2: Um, now, who'd pay for this? And how much would it cost? Any any detail on that?
4: Well, I think that the, that the idea behind it would be to utilise uh, the fact that TV3 is part of Liberty Global, which uh, operates in 30 countries um, and has something like 29 million cable TV customers worldwide. So that the idea would be that it would be through that that distribution network so uh, I guess uh, you know, you know th- Mind you
2: there's a number of countries in Eastern Europe for example I don't know how many Irish people are living or Irish connected people are, are living in Eastern Europe I mean you would have thought the main markets would be the UK the America, the Australia UK and,
4: and the US Middle East and maybe to I mean would have another uh, way of targeting them Targeting them, than, of course uh, like you know it has proposed in the past the diaspora channels and it hasn't uh, fallen th- fo- uh, followed through on mm. it because it hasn't really got the money um, and most recently the one that they proposed that they would come that they would launch in the UK I think uh, was RTE Ireland never saw the light of day and it didn't advance very far in fact so these days um, it targets overseas people via the uh, international Mm. version of the RTE player and D Forbes I think would be keen to actually get more subscription revenues from that
2: Right but is this something that licence fee payers are going to have to cop up for?
4: I, I don't don't so know on, on, okay. on that sort, he decides to put money into it, which is where I think, mm. you know... Is it, there a demand a among the
2: diaspora for this? Has anybody tested the market? Well,
4: I mean, I suppose you could say the people testing the market, albeit with a very different type of content, are Irish TV, that's the Mayo-based uh, crowd, who um, have a lot of sort of factual uh, content, Irish-themed. That's a small uh, player. It's a very small it? player, yeah. so it's not comparable. Okay. But, but the way it is actually interesting the way they've done it. The deals that they've struck have been on uh, uh, you know on smartphone platforms and 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 the likes of, of sort of you know newer generation of how people consume television content today, rather than you know necessarily yeah. having you don't necessarily have to be on these. TV and the other platforms. thing that
2: strikes me is that you know is that not what the RTE player is for? I mean the RTE player is available in uh, abroad, isn't it? I mean yeah, that's that- what I'm saying.
4: The international version of the new RTE player, and uh, they they launched a, ver- a version of that, a new version of that, a couple of years ago. And there's a lot of content available uh, available to people uh, uh, for free on it. But there's you know if you want everything, I think you pay a subscription. For everything, and also they have subscription revenues coming in for the GAA Go partnership they have with the GAA, and I, I imagine uh, D Forbes will want to sort of make that uh, more, you know, make more cash from that side of things. Yeah. Uh, But how much cash they can make from it, you know, uh, that's it's it's arguable.
2: Okay. Now uh, this morning you were at the Virgin Media Digital Insights Report 2016. I think it's something they release every year, is it? Um, Every two years. uh, Every two years. Okay. Mm. Um, uh, What was the key takeaway?
4: Well, the key takeaway I think is that uh, if you're not online, if you're a business in Ireland and you're not online, you're, you know you're invisible. Which we, of course we already know, but uh, it's 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 quite it's quite scary. The, the numbers who who's sort of still sort of shun it. Um, they're predicting the, a doubling in, in uh, spending online uh, by Irish consumers over the next five years.
2: I'm just looking at one of the pages here it says that uh, the percentage using internet to interact with government departments it's quite interesting uh, if you look at the revenue online system 87% car tax 83% property tax 82% I mean if you go back five or ten years these are the things that were obviously uh, you had to go to a car tax office to pay your car tax it was all done uh, in paper form but people really have uh, they really have bought into the online model for dealing with the government in many ways.
4: Yeah and Virgin's main point here, of course, is that we're living our lives digitally and it's the, you know, one of the key broadband providers in Ireland. Um, So technically speaking, that should be to its advantage. You know, it's both encouraging this trend and is the beneficiary of it.
2: Yeah. But I suppose there's a bit of a a coming together, a knocking of heads, is there not, between, let's say, what TV3 do as a terrestrial broadcaster owned by Virgin Media and, you you know virgin media offering broadband to the to the masses which allows them to go on tablets or allows them to go on laptops to look at contents of bit yeah and They're of course probably people are moving away from tv
4: piracy is is a huge issue and and, and you know for a broad, uh, uh, you know linear television channel uh, you know it's almost no point buying in some you know hot, hot american imported show because most people have already you know used their broadband connections to illegally stream uh, legally stream and download um, that uh, particular hot property, um, so that's a it, 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 that is a real issue for them. I mean, and just to uh, sort of return to the working with your frenemies uh, theme, another thing that happened last week was that Liberty Global did a deal with Netflix that would integrate the Netflix app on all of Liberty Global's uh, platforms. Now it's very easy to get a Netflix app on your television these days. Anyone with a smart, TV, smart TV would probably yeah. have that anyway. But, um, you know, it is a kind of another sign that people are having, you know, Liberty Globe em- is embracing this. Yeah. I think Netflix is their big com- uh, competitor in uh, a way. Just
2: going back to the diaspora for a minute, um, do we know where stand on is? Has D Forbes responded to Pat Kiley's overture?
4: No, I mean, I think she hasn't because I think D Forbes has a lot of other things on her plate at the moment. And one of them is the key... Um, outcome, I guess, of her talks with the Minister for Communications, uh, Dennis Nocton. And until they know uh, at RTE what kind of uh, future the public funding has in Ireland, there's just no visibility on it at the moment. There's a lot of high evasion rate. They're they're counting at least there will be some tackling of the high evasion rate for the licence fee. Uh, until they know uh, wh- where that's going, they kind of can't make yeah. any plans. But she has said that she wants the broadcaster to evolve uh, rather than, say, you know completely te- tearing everything up and looking at shutting down services which is something that uh, Virgin uh, Media's Ireland Chief Executive Tony Hanway suggested that maybe RTE should take a hard look at, every, at everything it does whether yeah. it needs to do everything Okay, uh, given the financial climate.
2: Yeah. OK, Laura Slardery thank you for that we'll take a short break now and return with an analysis of our taxation system and measures that might feature in next month's budget. Back in a few moments.
1: At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01 704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014.
2: Now, welcome back. Uh, this portion of the show is all about Taxation. Please don't adjust your dial. Uh, with the budget coming up, this is a very important issue. And I'm here to explain all are Cliff Taylor, business editor of the Irish Times, and Cora O'Brien, policy director with the Irish Tax Institute. And it's with Cora that I'll start because, Cora, um, you had a report out uh, this week on the taxation system, which uh, I suppose some gloomy uh, findings, if you like, for, for middle-income earners. who found that middle and high-income earners were paying more tax than they did seven years ago, despite moves to unwind the austerity measures imposed uh, following the crash. Tell us more.
5: Yeah, um, that's right. We had a really good look at lots of different income levels and we got some uh, kind of striking results from it. Um, I suppose the first thing to say is... um if you're earning more than, for people earning more than 30,000 euros, those people are actually contributing 96% of the total personal tax take in the state. So that, that's a big contribution from those over 30,000.
2: That's around the average industrial wage, isn't
5: it? Yeah, I think it's it's about 35, 36 is mm. the average wage. Um, and and we, we looked at it by using a kind of multiplier effect this year. Um, so we looked at kind of earnings and the tax you pay and how as earnings progress, the multiple of tax progresses, and we compared it to different ratios. So say, for example, you look at a base of 18,000, somebody on about the average wage of 35,000 is earning twice what that person on 18 is earning, but they're actually paying about 11 times the tax. And that differential, that gap, if you like, widens and widens the further up the income scale you go. So we're Mm. very, very progressive. um, Mm. And there's a big contribution coming from those who are on the average, Average wage and upwards, um, and in our view, a large part of the reason for that is the combination of the the rate, which is close to fifty percent at those income levels, and it's kicking in at thirty three thousand eight
2: hundred. Yeah, Cliff, does this explode the narrative, if you like, from? The hard left uh, in Leinster House that, uh, you know, those earning a certain income should pay more in in tax.
6: Yeah, I think think it does. Uh, There are clearly, I suppose, a a class of super rich people who are, a lot of whom aren't tax resident here, who who do manage to avoid paying uh, income tax in Ireland. But the generality shows, as Cora has said, uh, that the higher up, uh, the higher people pay an awful lot more. Uh, even proportionately than, uh, than, than lower taxes. people who don't pay any tax at all, isn't that right? Yes, I mean, one of the extraordinary things, I think uh, nearly three out of ten, Cora, if I'm right, yes. uh, don't pay any tax at all. And one of the things, actually, I know a lot of the things that Brian Lenhan did, a lot of the tax measures he introduced were introduced in extremists and maybe weren't thought through very well because we were in a crisis. But one of the theories he had was that everybody should pay a little bit. And that was one of the kind of key thinkings behind the USC when it was introduced that pretty much everyone on every income level, bar the very lowest, would pay a small amount but that has been really uh, clawed back or, or reversed in the last few years, as the entry level for the USC has been increased in, in each particular budget, largely because of political pressure that the, the lower the lower page should get most of the uh, most of the gains, which 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 you know is is, is reasonable and certainly uh, you could put a strong case that you know people in lower and middle incomes are struggling more, but nonetheless we've narrowed the tax space in again and as Cora has said we're again left with a large body of people in the middle who are paying most of the tax Yeah, uh, Cora I note
2: your report found that at a salary level of 75,000 euro uh, people are paying taxes here close to that in France um, four and a half grand more than they would uh, in the UK.
5: Yeah, that's right, and um, and that is probably a p- of particular um, concern and focus, you know, with what's happening with Brexit uh, and everything else, and and um, in fact, it's quite surprising that they're even paying more than they're paying in Sweden. So, um there, there we are. Once you get above that average wage, we're we're kind of rocketing up the international um, league tables. So at, at eighteen thousand, we're at the bottom. So at eighteen thousand, you pay six hundred euros. The bottom of ten countries that we looked at. But as you go up, then we go up the table. Yeah.
2: So is this a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion?
5: Well, it, our view is that I suppose as a result of a lot of changes, um, most of them because needs must um, over the last kind of nine or 10 years, there's been a lot of um tinkering with the tax system. We've had 50 different changes to bans and credits. And the problem is that they've all been directed at very particular issues and without, I suppose, the the backdrop of an overall plan as to Mm. where is the personal tax system going? Is it the right system for an economy and a society like the one that we have? Um, And there's nobody saying it's easy, but if we don't have an end goal in mind, it's very hard to get there. So you know, year by year, if we were using our resources to kind of get in a certain direction, piece by piece, um, that would probably be better than uh, individual individual measures each year yeah. dealing with particular problems that are, that pop up.
2: Okay, well, uh, Cliff, we have the budget coming up; it's October uh, the eleventh. Mm. Uh, this is an opportunity, I, I guess, to unwind some of these measures mm. or address some of these issues that Cora has mentioned. What should we expect?
6: Uh, I think we should expect uh, the Minister to focus pretty much all the spare money he has on USC cuts, uh, certainly in the personal tax area anyway. Uh, that's been well signalled. Uh, it's something that Fine Gael are, are very attached to and I think it would be surprised if a surprise if the standard USC rate, which applies to the vast bulk of incomes up to 70,000, of 5.5% isn't cut again. It was cut by 1.5% last year. I don't think he's going to have the money to do the same this year, but I think it will be cut. There are a few other bits and pieces that have been signalled. Uh, what about the old reliables? The old reliables uh, certainly uh, cigarettes look likely to be hit again, and there was a hint in the tax strategy papers published before the budget, which are the kind of the musings of senior civil servants uh, that lower th- this, this would be structured to hit lower price cigarettes, comp- particularly because a lot of consumers have moved to lower price packs mm. of cigarettes because price gone up a lot in the last few years. Uh, alcohol, not clear what what's going to happen there. Diesel looks likely to be targeted. Uh, there's the, the I suppose the environmental impacts of or benefits of diesel are now being seriously questioned. And there's, a between, it yeah, there's a gap between yeah. There's a gap between diesel and petrol. There's also a, a gap between the price here and the price in the north. So the way looks clear for a, a good whack to go on diesel. I think. Yeah. And DSRI has cautioned against uh, major tax cuts in,
2: in this budget, and I think the European Commission, in its paper this mm-hmm. week as well, is also wary of uh, rolling back on some of these uh, tax measures.
6: Yeah, I think we're going to see a budget that adds a bit of money to the economy. But I think in overall terms, it's not going to be huge. Mm. Uh, we're probably talking about tax cuts net of 300 million, 400 million. That's not a lot of money. Uh, it's a lot less than we've seen in recent years. It really isn't going to, you know, butter a lot of parsnips or whatever whatever phrase you want to use. And I think, you know, in terms of kind of the, the key problems that the Tax Institute's uh, study identified you know, the, the one that's that stood out to me, I suppose, and it's one that's been talked about for many years, is the very low rate of income at which people in Ireland enter the higher tax rate. So you only have to earn 33800 as a single worker before you go into the 40% rate. Politically, I think the problem is that governments over the years have found that that kind of tinkering with bans and credits doesn't seem to get the political kudos that a cut in the tax rate or the cut in the USC rate gets. And as Cora said, you know, in, in that way, maybe we're avoiding tackling the real kind of crunch issues in the in, yeah. in, in the tax system.
5: And it's Cara, expensive to, to, to change that absolutely. band, yeah. even to put it up a thousand to 34,800, it'll cost about 188 million. So, as you say, it mightn't be fully appreciated and it's, mm. it's expensive to do it. Yeah. Cora,
2: what would the Irish Tax Institute like the government to do? What one single measure do you think the government should introduce as a matter of priority?
5: Can I have two? You <laughs> can, can I have, have two? Go on, we we'll let you have two. Um, <laughs> you be the minister for
6: today,
5: or. <laughs> okay, a, lo- a long-term plan and um, doing something about the thirty-three eight hundred and the fifty-two percent rate because we're up at the top um, of the league table in the fifties club of countries, um, and it's just coming in too low. Right.
2: And sorry, the long-term plan. What do you mean by the long-term plan?
5: Well, we we, we think that the overall uh, tax regime, it just needs to be examined in its totality because um, individual changes like maybe a 1,000 here on the band or bringing the rate down a percent isn't the answer. We've got three different types of taxes and we've 53 different moving parts to the tax so it system. It needs to be streamlined.
2: Yeah. Uh, Cliff, is this a barrier to us attracting uh, foreign direct investment?
6: Yeah, I think it probably is and certainly, the IDA and uh, other people involved in attracting, attracting foreign companies c- to come here would say that it is. And I suppose this is particularly an issue post-Brexit uh, where we're trying to attract a lot of the higher earners in the financial sector. There are specific measures that can be used uh, to attract senior executives from from multinationals here and and, and and they will pay a low rate of tax. But the generality of, of, of income tax here. Is higher on those kind of higher earners. Certainly, that would be in in, uh, in in a lot of other countries, uh, and in particular, you know, the uh, the marginal rate of fifty two percent is high by uh, by international comparison. Yeah. So it, it could it could be an issue in, in, in attracting uh, foreign investment post yeah. post Brexit. But though though possibly the housing the housing shortage is an even bigger problem. If, if 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 you talk around to people who are who are involved in that area at the moment,
2: sure. There's a lot more scrutiny of the budget now. We have this new uh, select committee yeah. on budget oversight. Uh, Is it going to be a talking shop or is it actually going to produce something meaningful?
6: Yeah, I wasn't hugely impressed. Now, I have to admit, I I wasn't actually watching the proceedings yesterday, but I watched some of it. I wasn't watching all of it. I watched some of it and I read the reports of it. And it was billed as here was a meeting that was going to look at where revenue could be raised in the budget. And instead of that, it appeared to be just a kind of a a talking shop for all the different sides to get across their their own particular particular wants and needs. Uh, And I think politically, the big issue for the government is It doesn't have the money to meet half of, uh, to meet a quarter of of, of the demands being put on it, or a quarter of the things that were promised during the election campaign. So politically, I think this is going to be a really difficult budget, and you know there is a question still about whether it can actually be got over the line. Yeah, lots of other taxes out there, of course. uh, Cora, for example, capital gains and
2: uh, corporation tax and so on. What does the Irish Tax Institute think should happen with those?
5: Well, one, one thing that we'd really like to see done um, for smaller businesses is um, some changes made to, to the share options regime because we have small businesses trying to compete and getting good people in to scale their businesses up. Um, and we very high <coughs> uh, capital gains tax at 33%. But kind of uniquely as well, we also have income tax charges on share options. So if something, even if it was a focused initiative just for small businesses on the share options side, that would be a great start to help them and maybe wouldn't be as costly as a, a big income tax change. Um, so, so that's something we'd like to see. And Leo
2: Radcliffe seems to be indicating that he wants to do something on the social protection side for the self-employed.
5: Yes, um, don't, don't have a huge amount of detail as to what that is um, and it would be great to get a, a chance to talk to him about that But because the self-employed are certainly taxed more heavily than employees both at the bottom and at the top. Um, the tax bills at the bottom are really quite different and quite a, a good bit higher because there's very different PRSI rules for the self-employed and they kick into PRSI from about €5,000. So, so they get a big hit at the bottom and they get this three percent surcharge, then over a hundred thousand at the top. Um, so on the tax side, apart from anything else, um there there's a whole separate system and that's really unique internationally as well, distinguishing between yeah. the two types of um two types of people.
2: Cliff, I think we can take it as red that the corporation tax rate of 12.5% mm-hmm. isn't going to be reduced, especially in light of uh, the dispute over Apple. Yeah. Um, but what about some of the other taxes like VAT? Uh, there, there was talk of maybe reducing it for the construction industry to try and stimulate uh, building. Any sense that that might
6: happen? Yeah, there, there is a package of measures uh, promised for first-time buyers. So it is possible that uh, there might be some limited... Initiative there, uh, Simon Coveney has said there is something going to be done. It's going to be done on the budget. Uh, it's going to be aimed particularly at first time buyers and like giving some kind of a subsidy to them. Uh, but it is possible there will be a valid ab- element to that as well. Of course, the the fear is that that would just then immediately go into prices uh, and have no you know have no benefit for uh, have no benefit for 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 buyers. Um, well,
2: Yeah, Cora, uh, all of this oversight of the budget and the fact that it goes through so many pairs of hands before it actually uh, comes to be delivered in in the dollars, taking away some of the fun uh, almost uh, (laughs) of the day. Um, (laughs) Is is there a danger that it's all just going to fall very flat on October 11th when it's delivered?
5: Well, I I think the the biggest danger of flatness is just the small amount of money that there is. Um, And I think the Minister said yesterday the taxpayers won't be throwing their hats in the air over it. And so I don't think we do a lot of analysis on Budget Day. I don't think we're going to have an awful lot to talk about this year.
2: Okay, all right. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Cliff Taylor and Cora O'Brien, thank you for that. Uh, That's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Barry O'Halloran, Pat Daly, Laura Slattery, Cliff Taylor and Cora O'Brien. John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon in as Sound Engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.
0: Hold up.